Hello and welcome to Women Positively Aging, the podcast for women in midlife and older who want to live well for longer. I'm your host, Barbara Bray, registered nutritionist in the UK and PhD researcher in healthy aging diets at Queen's University Belfast. I'm looking forward to guiding you through this series where we learn from the experts in the latest science, as well as people with lived experience about the things that we can do to live well for longer. The topic today is social isolation and loneliness. And you may have heard this well-known quote about its impact on our health. Research by Professor Julianne Holt-Lundstadt about the impact of social connection on health outcomes indicates that a lack of social connection is comparable to smoking up to 15 cigarettes per day. We may be living longer than our parents, but social isolation and loneliness shortens our health span. That's the number of healthy years of our lives. In this episode, we'll talk about the risk that loneliness poses to our health and ways that we can address this and ensure that we build a safe and supportive community. I'm joined by Shazne Spence, CEO and founder of Equimanity Lifestyle and Success Coaching, and Dr. Deborah Morgan, known as Deb, an academic researcher in gerontology and social isolation and loneliness at the University of Swansea. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, Barbara. I know your nickname's actually Lonely Deb, isn't it? So that always always makes me chuckle because you don't come across as lonely at all. (laughs) No, it's uh, that was a a name that was uh, given to me, I suppose, because people come up and say, oh, you're a lonely woman. And then I did some media work and was referred to as Lonely Deborah, so it just stuck. So I just thought I'd run with it. (laughs) Well, thanks for coming today. And we'd like to open up really by starting the discussion of your research and telling us a bit more about the difference between social isolation and loneliness. Yes, yeah, so my, my research, as you said, looks at loneliness and social isolation, mainly in later life. But more increasingly, it's looking across the life course because very often the roots of loneliness might be put down earlier in our lifespan um, in terms of the, sort of the size of our social networks and so forth. And I think loneliness and social isolation, when people talk about them, they often get conflated. And they're actually, although they're related, they're not the same thing. So in academic terms, loneliness refers to an unpleasant emotion that we experience when we feel there's a disconnect between the quality or the quantity of the relationships we have with other people and those we'd like to have. So what that means, in effect, is you could have lots of friends and feel really lonely because the quality of those relationships isn't there. Or you might just have one or two friends and never feel lonely because they meet all your needs. And social isolation differs, although it's related to loneliness, it differs in that it means more of an absence of social contact and social connections. And that might be within your social, within a group of people in the community or in wider society. So that's sort of the difference between the two. That's really helpful to know that it's not just being by yourself or away from other people. It means that you're lonely. So it's good to have that distinction. And I know that you talked about how people get to that point. You know, so a lot of people in midlife, you're thinking about how you're going to retire from work and maybe go and take up, I don't know, a cottage somewhere by the coast. And can you tell us a little bit more about the decisions that people make in midlife and how that 
leads to certain pathways to loneliness and social isolation. Yeah, sure. Um, loneliness can occur because it can, um, it's a life event. So it might be a bereavement, a later life divorce. It might be the onset of poor health or becoming a carer or even stopping being a carer. And obviously things like retirement are a big one. And, you know, when people talk about they're going to retire to the coast of the country, I just sort of like, no, <laughs> don't. Because that, that's another sort of trigger. And I think it's probably because maybe people move and then they don't embed themselves necessarily in their new community and you leave all your network behind. And then people can find themselves. So the people I've interviewed, we had a number of retirement migrants among that group and sometimes they're retirement migrants who are moving back to their home town and still find themselves lonely because you know they've spent years living in one place and then you move somewhere else and everything's new and you lose contact with the people that you had in your previous area you lived in so yeah it can be it can be quite a big um trigger point um but like i said there's there's lots of them so you know the onset to poor health disability and some people so if you have a disability you're more likely to probably to um, experience loneliness and isolation because we know that half of people with a disability are lonely. It's not as easy or as as clear cut as people maybe think it is. There's lots of pathways and routes in. And of course, you can be lonely without being isolated. You can be isolated without being lonely. Or of course, you can be both. So, and that's where my work looked at that sort of those transitions in and out of loneliness in, in older age and how those different uh, categories of loneliness, what the risk factors were that were predicting inclusion in one of those categories. So things like being childless increased the risk of being socially isolated. Um, Being an older male, that increased your risk of being socially isolated, whereas being female um, widowed. It's more like sort of um, emotional loneliness. Interesting that's the difference between the, the different genders. You think, well, you know, men and women should probably experience things in the same way. But actually, is it because of the way that we've interacted when we were younger or why would there be a difference? It's, we don't really know why there's a difference. I mean, women are known as the kin keepers. So, you know, in, in most families, it's a female that keeps their partners connected with, I know it is in my family, you know, if, if I don't prompt my husband to phone his mother or talk to the children, our children, you know, you probably wouldn't think to ring them up because he gets all his information via me. <laughs> and I think it's like that in a lot of, in a lot of um, relationships. Um, and men tend to, I think maybe they socialise more in their workplace and less so outside. So, of course, when they retire or, or their wife passes away, then, you know, they suddenly adrift. <laughs> Gosh, that it's it's interesting because when you're in it, when you're in midlife, you don't think of how the decisions you're making at this point are going to affect you as you age. No, exactly. And I think, you know, we when we think about retirement, we think about where we might like to move to, we do the financial planning, you know, we think about all the holidays we might want to take. And actually, we don't think about our social life. And once we stop work, who do we have to connect with? What, you know, who are we going to go to do things with? Um, and that's when people drop off the cliff and suddenly find themselves lonely, I think. Gosh, it's a lot to think about. And I'd now like to turn to Chazenay. And obviously, with your work, you see so many people within your business. And I'd like to ask you about some of the, the triggers. You know, do pe- are people able to easily identify their loneliness triggers? And if you could share with us that, please. 
Yeah, because, you know, as a coach, as a um, lifestyle coach and a soul coach, I help people to really navigate through ways in which they can get that mental and emotional stability and balance. And a lot of my clients come to me because they are lonely. But first of all, we have to understand, you know, what kind of loneliness is it? And we have as human beings an innate sense of wanting to belong. And I I always refer back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs because that's kind of the third pillar, isn't it? You know, you've got your basic needs of having shelter. Then you've got kind of safety needs. And then you've got that need for love and belonging. So when people feel lonely, it could be, you know, is it physical loneliness and they just want to kind of have that urge for physical contact? Is it um, their need that they want companionship? That is all about physical loneliness. Is it um, a mental loneliness where they really want that intellectual stimulation from another person or sense of camaraderie or even emotional loneliness, you know, and that's really about people missing empathetic support. And that's what I give to my clients. You know, I give them that safe space to explore what's going on for them. And if loneliness is the thing that they're navigating through, they can get that empathetic support through speaking their truth with me and having that feedback and connection. And then fourthly, there's the spiritual loneliness, which is really about them not having that alignment with their their soul and, you know, doing things that really are in alignment with their beliefs and their spiritual practices. And I'm not talking necessarily about denominational practices. It's just who are they at their very core. So what I do with my clients is help them to to navigate through, okay, what is triggering that? And, And as Deb was talking, I was kind of nodding along because the triggers can be situational change. My forte is helping people navigate through situational change to get clarity and calm. So you've got to look at it and see what's causing it in the first place. So loneliness can be caused by those things, such as what Deb mentioned, retirement, moving away, becoming a carer, no longer being a carer, you know, having a bereavement of the person that you've been caring for or losing a loved one. So it's things like this that trigger someone not feeling that sense of belonging and that feeling of connection and having that place to have that feedback loop. So it's things like that. Even estrangement from family, you know, a lot of families are dysfunctional. There's no such thing as a perfect family, unfortunately. Uh, let's just put it out there. <laughs> let's just be honest and open. <laughs> so people are estranged, you know, and that triggers trauma. It triggers feelings of not having that sense of belonging. So these are some of the key things that I help my clients with uh, and helping to have that awareness then the acceptance of it, and then we take action to move through those things. Interesting that people come to you. So is it because they already know that that is an issue or they're coming saying, I don't know what's wrong with me, I just need help? A bit of the bit of both, really. Some people are specific and say, look, I'm lonely, I'm in a marriage and I'm feeling lonely, I'm not feeling heard. And that's when we start to look at, well, wait, how are the ways in which you're showing up? What, what is it that you want? What is it that you need and desire and crave in order to feel that sense of belonging and enrichment? Um, and then we've got other people who know that they're not where they want to be. They're not feeling fulfilled or enriched. And a lot of the time it is the root cause is loneliness. They're not really aware of what they bring to the table. So their esteem and sense of value is demeaned because of that. So it's peeling back the layers 
Um, but oftentimes, you know, loneliness is at the root of it and them not feeling enough or feeling worthy of the the feedback and connection. Health and great tips for us to think about and look at our own lives and see where we might be falling short and understand what we can do about it. And I know that you've also done work with people on, on mental health and how do the, the two things relate, please? Yeah, definitely. So it's a big part of what I do. As I said, my role as a coach and what equanimity stands for is helping people have that mental and emotional stability and balance. So when people do feel loneliness, it can make them feel disempowered. It can make them feel unloved, unworthy. It can make them feel anxious and even depressed. You know, low mood lasts for a couple of weeks, but when it remains unchecked, it leads to depression and rather intense depressive episodes. So it's understanding the triggers and then realizing how that manifests in someone's mental well-being. So is someone being hypervigilant? Is someone being um, different to how they normally show up, distracted, dejected? So it's helping my clients to really have that awareness about how they are responding to their current reality um, and really giving them the space to be held and to be open and authentic about, well, you know, this is making me feel this way and it's manifesting in certain behaviours, you know, which then impact their level of self-esteem and self-worth. Mental well-being is, it's a topic that's, you know, people are being more more open to discuss. We've all got physical health, we've all got mental health. And, you know, as we've mentioned before, these triggers can lead us to feeling a certain way. So I'm so privileged to hold space for people to have those honest conversations um, and to just navigate around how they are responding to those things. So, you know, when I was really thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about today, I was looking at how certain behaviours could be a byproduct of mental ill health, which is caused by the loneliness. And some people might, for example, take actions that are not serving them. So seek solace in sexual relationships that aren't necessarily good for them. It could lead to a dependency on alcohol. It could Mm. lead to finding that you were um, getting that addiction from certain patterns of behavior Mm. or substances food drugs perhaps so it's it's these unresourceful behaviors that we need to look at and it's not having judgment against those but it's just having awareness accepting where you're at and then moving forward from that um and that's that's the the important thing to do what are some of the strategies to help alleviate that so obviously moving away from those destructive behaviors and, and bringing in new behaviors that can help you turn that corner I think the the main thing really is um, having an awareness and having that honest conversation with yourself. I'm a big fan of self-compassion and it's not just bubble baths and lighting candles. Like the adverts. Absolutely not, no. Um, It's about owning where you're at in in an attempt to build your own self-esteem and self-trust and knowing that you can actually navigate through a position of, feeling not enough or feeling that you're disconnected to the opposite which is knowing that you are a value knowing that you are loved and loved able to give love so for me it's about 
practicing self-compassion and doing the things that honor and approve of you so that you can then show up in those spaces in a more abundant way. It's about trusting in yourself and knowing that you've got gifts to share. A lot of people who experience loneliness feel like they've got nothing to offer. But when you really sit with yourself, work with a coach or surround yourself with people who can help you see that actually you've got gifts to share, that can help you then to go about sharing them and expressing those gifts and talents. Ask actually, because that reminds me of something that Deb was telling me about. And I think you'll appreciate this story, Shazne, because Deb was telling me about a a chap who, and it's about the gifts, Deb, and the the room that he had. You just want to share that story with us, because I think it'll resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, so uh, when I was collecting uh, some data, we visited a lot of older adults. And the one gentleman I went to see, a lot of physical health problems, and when we, I went to do the interview with him, he had his laptop open. He said he was waiting for somebody to come online to talk to him. Nobody did. And as I was leaving his house, he took me into the front room and it was full of unopened boxes. And they, he told me they were gifts for people, for family members who'd never turned up. But he kept on buying things online because the postman would come and he'd have someone to talk to. So it was, he's somebody I think about quite a lot. Um, and I've met a few people since who've told me the same thing, <laughs> you know, that they they crave that attention. They'll go and start conversations with people in shops. Um, you know, it's one of those things we always say, you know, not to touch at people in the checkout because that might be the only person they've spoken to all week. So, yeah, it's a lot of what you've just been talking about, you know, that personalised approach and identifying those trajectories in is so important. And a lot of the negative impacts we see are probably from, are more from chronic loneliness because we can all experience that sort of transient feeling. But it's when it gets into that chronic state and we can see it in the data that self-esteem goes down, confidence in themselves goes down, their ability to um, start a conversation or hold a conversation in a group that declines. It's, you know, it has such a wide-ranging impact on the way people are. that it's, And once you're in that position and you're in that chronic loneliness it's very hard then to try and dig yourself back out of it without support. Absolutely. I, I totally resonate with that. It's something that I um, help my clients to do is to think about, well, not think about it, but be aware of overthinking because loneliness can lead to that overthinking. Mm. And what I encourage my clients to do is to just choose a better feeling thought. That sounds really simplistic. Give us an example then. So how would that work? Yeah. I'll give you an example. So from feeling Mm -hmm. disappointed, you could possibly feel a level of acceptance and that, you know what, this disappointment, I'm going to check. For example, um, I did a a video on this recently. Rejection is redirection. So we can feel really low because we felt rejected, but actually it might just be redirecting you to something better. So you can shift the lens just by thinking of a different thought or seeing it from another perspective. So we could be really crushed by that rejection and feel oh, no one wants to talk to me, no one wants to be with me, but maybe that's just redirecting you to something better. So that's the process of thinking of something better. And it doesn't have, you don't need to go from depression to ecstasy. It's just taking one, because that's not realistic, is it? So there is an emotional guidance scale and there are incremental thoughts. So practically as I said it's thinking right that rejection is actually not a rejection of me it's just redirecting me that disappointment let me what would I I like to feel instead hope 
joy, peace. So choosing to see peace instead of the loneliness or the rejection or the hurt, that helps my clients just to take one step further, one step at a time, moving from their current reality, which is probably real loneliness, to moving towards where they actually want to be. Helpful. Sorry, Deb, are you going to come in there? Yeah, because again, that... In my work, I looked at the way people experience loneliness and it's very often they experience it as a disruptive event because it impacts not only their sense of self and who they think they are, but it also impacts how they see other people and their expectations. They might have thought, oh, yeah, family will be around. If something happens to me, then these people will react in a certain way. And then when they don't, it just reinforces that loneliness. So you get this sort of negative spiral. So it, again, you, know, you say it is sort of partly sort of changing your way of thinking about things, because I think when sometimes when you, if you, you know, you can, you can interpret things differently. If we look at the media and the way different newspapers will interpret the same event very differently, depending on, on their, their perspective. And I think as people, we do the same thing. You know, we, one person might view something in one way and that somebody else will view it in a negative way. And then that can sort of, again, reinforce that feeling of loneliness. It's, you know, and again, in that chronic form, it's really hard to dig yourself back out. And that's really interesting that you're both framing it in a way that it's not it's not a done deal. Just because you're feeling lonely doesn't mean you have to stay there. And I think that's the most encouraging thing I've heard from this conversation is it, it doesn't have to be permanent and there are strategies and, and ways of working on it. So so thanks for sharing that initially, Shazne, and you know, underlining that, Deb, because I think it's important for people to understand that it's not final. It's not something you, you're stuck with. You can move on. And I'd now like to turn and, and talk about recovery from loneliness. So I'll go to Deb first, then I'll go back to Shazne. In terms of recovering from loneliness, if you can talk about some of the things that you can do, you know, whether it's chronic or whether it's just temporary, how are some of the ways that we can manage that? I think when we, we need to remember that loneliness is not something we should be ashamed of. It's just a set of circumstances. And I think when we see it as a set of circumstances, it gives us other strategies that we can use. So, again, looking at the work that I've done, we've looked at the coping strategies people use. And when they internalise it, they're more likely to go into that chronic trajectory. So it's about doing things that are, that might seem hard, um, but putting yourself back out there, join, rejoining groups that you were part of before. Um, talking about it is the biggest thing you can do, I think, whether it's And I think we all got a role to play there. We can all talk about loneliness that we've experienced because it takes away that stigma. But it's I think that's the the key thing is to talk about it and then look at the things, look at the possibilities, why you became lonely in the first place and what you need for yourself to be able to recover, because that's going to be different for everybody. If it's a bereavement, then joining a group is not going to be helpful. You might actually need bereavement counselling first or support to go back out into a social world before, you know, you can start to recover. Whereas if it's because of retirement and you've lost your network through work, then joining new activities might be the solution. So it's definitely not a one size fits all. It's about doing different things and thinking about what your trajectory was and then how you can counter that by doing something positive. And if something doesn't work, remembering that it's not the you know it's not the be all and end all if something you've tried doesn't work and you still feel lonely try something else because something will help eventually oh, thank you for that i think it's helpful to understand that it's not 
it's not so you can find a solution straight away. It has to be a bit of a journey that you go on to find what works for you, which nicely underlines what Chasney's been saying. And Chasney, I know that you had something to share with us on connection and the power of vulnerability. So are you able to elaborate on that for us as well, please? When I was doing some research on this topic, I was looking at what NASA um, implements as a strategy. It's called Connect, and I thought it was quite interesting, actually. These strategies help people to combat social isolation in their lives. And if you were to actually write the word connect vertically, I'll read it to you. So the C is for community. So Deb was talking about, like, you know, reach out to people, find your community, find your tribe. The O is about openness. So that's what I facilitate, open, honest conversation about where are you right now? What's going on for you? And it's about looking at that without judgment. And that's where the self-compassion comes in. The N is for networking. So, you know, find your network. It's very similar to community, but really find the people that are your safe space that you can be vulnerable with. And I'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. The the other N is for needs. So it's about keeping a routine, communicate what it is that you actually need. And again, that's linked to vulnerability. And this is about, you know, physically as well as mentally, what do you need? Because we know that physical and mental is both aligned. The E is for expeditionary mindset. And what that means is really about confronting challenges head on. This is the awareness and the acceptance piece that I was talking about. And then seeking support from somebody who can hold you lovingly accountable and really support you and give you that empathetic support. The C, the next C is about countermeasures, which is, you know, find some things that help you to alleviate your current situation. As a soul coach and as a lifestyle coach, I encourage my clients to meditate, to journal, to do things that are practical and pragmatic that allow them to embed and embody their learning. And then the final T is training, you know, build skills. If you want to find out what your gifts and talents are, explore them by learning. So that connect I thought was quite interesting because it gives you that acronym which then allows you to focus on each of the subdivisions. Vulnerability is something that I love to talk about. I'm a big fan of Brené Brown and her power of vulnerability and the the research that she's done about around vulnerability and self-compassion. Vulnerability really is about you having the courage to be seen. When we're lonely, we sometimes want to retract. So it's quite interesting that when you're being vulnerable, it's the opposite of that and allowing you the space to be seen. In that space, you learn to be authentic and honest and open. And there's great power in that. The The, the power of vulnerability is that you are very open about, you know, your feelings and what's going on for you. And you get the connection from the people who will meet you at the same level, whether it's through counselling or coaching or just finding a tribe of people or your community. It's, for me, vulnerability leads you to feel empowered because you're being honest and you're being authentic. And your sense of self is really built by, you know, peeling back the layers about, right, which parts of me would I like to improve? Which parts of me do I want to give extra love to? And this, again, is not a fluffy concept. It's about seeing things through a different lens, not through judgment, but through acceptance and through honesty. 
So that for me is vulnerability and the power of connection. For that, and as you were telling us all of that, I was just thinking that takes a lot of bravery and it takes headspace, doesn't it? Because when you think of the business of doing daily life, that is a real commitment to say, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and take time to think about me and the things that I need to do. Because people in midlife, they, you know, whether they've got kids or not, they usually have aging parents or people within their network that they are running around having to take care of. And if you think of what's happening in the world at the moment with so many pressures on on the business sector, particularly in the UK, where we're just being battered from all sides. A lot of business leaders have told me that they feel lonely and that's nothing to do with their family. That's just the business of keeping all their employees in a permanent job is actually quite lonely. So to suddenly say, actually, enough's enough. I'm going to take that time to do that work, I think is is a big ask of people. And I'm not surprised that there might be some hesitation there because you know, this isn't a small step you're going to have to take. It's grasping the nettle. And I'm pleased that you shared with us that journey, because I think by trying to make something look easier than it actually is, it's not helpful. Well, thanks for that, Shazanine. I'm going to come to Deb just to finish off with some final reflections on that before we come to a close. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, it's definitely about vulnerability and even just to admit that you're lonely in the first place. I mean, I think that that is the key starting point because very often I think we, we don't want to admit it to ourselves because, again, there's that stigma around it and you, know, you, you think people might, think you have no friends or that nobody cares about you and you know that that's often far from the case I mean you know I said you know as I said at the beginning you know some people who are lonely have lots of people around them who care about them it's just the way they feel about those relationships so you know it's it's never too late to to you know to, to try and put a different spin on things and you know um yeah sort of open up and and be really honest just with yourself and with other people about how you're feeling I think that's that's the main thing and and I'm very keen to to talk about the more we talk about loneliness I think the more we reduce that stigma and the more we enable people to open up and and talk about it and be vulnerable and talk about it themselves so I think that's that's hugely important. Thank you very much both of you for this conversation and I can think of so many groups of people who I interact with where loneliness isn't actually taboo I think of the farming community where that's that's a topic that's out front and centre because there's that geographical and physical separation from people in a lot of cases but also the business community, like I said, where many people are saying, you know, putting their hands up and saying, I am lonely as a leader. So I think I'm quite fortunate in that space where if I say I'm lonely, I don't feel judged because I'm talking to people who already voiced that and made sure that everyone's aware. So it's very good to have these conversations and get people to think about the feelings that they've got and the behaviours that they've got, because it might not be the end of the story. That might just be covering the fact that there's that loneliness there and we know that that's not good for our health and in midlife we need to do as much as we possibly can to maintain a really good quality of health so that as we age and aging is a privilege I think we need to remember that not everybody gets to live a long healthy and happy life so we do need to do what we can at the age that we're at now to be able to reach that goal of a healthy and a long life not just a long life So I'd like to thank you very much for joining me today. 
and we will have we've got, I think we've got another couple of episodes left of this podcast uh, we've got one on heart health and we've also got one on brain health so I do invite listeners to join me for those next two episodes thank you again and take care everyone Thank you for joining me on today's episode of the podcast, Women Positively Aging. It's been an absolute pleasure to host. I do hope you have enjoyed what you've heard and feel confident about making changes that will help you live well for longer. Do subscribe, give feedback, comment on social media. It'll be great to hear from you. Until next time, stay well and see you soon.